Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke and I get to serve as one of the ministers here. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. Hope you got to spend some time with the people that you love. As a lot of you know, though, every year a lot of volunteers get together from our church to put on a community Thanksgiving meal for folks here in Hendricks County who are in need or don't have anybody to eat with. And uh, our Rooted group got to go spend an evening helping out with that this last week. It was an awesome experience. And I want to tell you that on Thursday, volunteers from this church over at Hummel Park helped serve over 2,000 meals to our community. Can we praise God for that? Absolutely. I'm thankful to get to be a part of a church that takes being the hands and the feet of Jesus really seriously. And uh, my guess is that a lot of you, once you got your uh, dishes all washed from the Thanksgiving meal, maybe you officially turned your attention to Christmas and started getting out the tree and the stockings and all that. And now as we're kind of full swing in the Christmas season, I want to give one opportunity for you. For hundreds of years, followers of Jesus have gone through a season of Advent in the weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare their hearts for the celebration of the coming of Christ. And we're gonna do that this year in a special way. We have something for you called Word and Table that's gonna take place every Monday between now and Christmas. So for the next four Mondays, we have an opportunity for you to gather here at the church building on two different times. There's gonna be a service at 6 a.m. and a service at 6 p.m. every Monday between now and Christmas right in this room. Now it says in the chapel room right there, that's actually wrong, we changed it because we're expecting more people. We're gonna be in this room at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Those are identical services. Pick one, don't come to both of them. It's just gonna be a short, simple time for us to spend some time in God's word and in prayer to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. I'm gonna be there, and I hope to see you there as well. Now, we're gonna be in John chapter 10 today, as we have been for the last few weeks. And as a lot of you know, I have three little boys at home, and our little boys love going to the zoo. I'm sure you've been to the zoo. We have a great zoo downtown. And every time I'm at the zoo, yes, we enjoy it, but I always end up feeling the same thing, especially when I go see the lions. Because at the zoo, like... Think about a lion. Lions are kind of the alphas of the animal kingdom, right? But you go to the zoo and you see the lions and it's this little playpen surrounded by thick glass and chain link fence and there's just these two lions in there kind of taking a nap, laying around, basking in the sun and you look around their little area and they've got this well-worn path on the grass around the perimeter where those lions just spend their days pacing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And zoologists actually have a name for that. It's called zoocosis. Zoocosis is a specific particular type of aimless behavior patterns in animals that are being held in captivity that they slip into these behavior patterns because oftentimes they're racked by either anxiety or boredom and so these animals just end up doing the same thing over and over and over again pacing back and forth for no apparent reason. But I think we would all say that animal was made for something more, right? That lion, think about that. That lion spends its day having its picture taken, smelling the churros and hot dogs from the concession stand, sleeping in an artificial cave, 
eating pre-made food that is scientifically engineered to meet its dietary needs but cannot satisfy its innate desire to hunt. Something has been lost there because that animal was made for the wild, right? But let's not kid ourselves this morning. Zucosis doesn't only live in the zoo, does it? It might go by a different name out here, but my guess is that a lot of us here today have some form of zucosis. That as you look back on your life, we spend our days just kind of doing the same thing, right? We spend our days buying and selling and cooking and cleaning and shopping and calling and planning and scheduling and meeting and pacing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, wearing out that same old patch of grass day after day after day. And we look at the state of our lives. And if we're honest, a lot of us are tired and hurried and worried and honestly, a lot of the time just bored And yet we live at this dizzying pace, and in our quiet moments, maybe with our eyes glazed over, scrolling our life away, we lay there like a lion in a zoo, and have you ever wondered, man, is this really it? Is this all there is? Or could it be that maybe, just maybe, perhaps I was made for something more? And over the last three weeks, we've said that actually, yes, you were made for something more, and the good news is that more is actually available to you. We've been walking through John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus makes an incredible promise to us. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said that more is available to you and I. And so out of that, we've rolled out our mission as a church. So from here on out, our mission as Plainfield Christian Church is to help you become fully alive in Jesus. We want to organize everything we do to that end, to help you to become fully alive in Jesus, because we're actually going to take Jesus at his word here. So then that begs the question, what does that mean? To be a disciple of Jesus at Plainfield Christian Church, to be fully alive in Jesus, what does that mean? And what we're saying is it's really simple, that what God wants for you, wherever you are today in your journey of faith, whether this is your first time here or you've been coming here your whole life, whether you're nine years old or 99 years old, being fully alive in Jesus means three things. Number one, it means being with Jesus. Number two, in community. And number three, on mission. We want you to be with Jesus in community and on mission to help you experience being fully alive in him. Can can you imagine, like, what if we actually did that? What if every one of us in this room was fully alive with Jesus in community and on mission? Like, what if we, as a church, had a theological vision that shattered the complacency and the zucosis of our time. Because that word there, when Jesus says that he came, that we may have life to the full, that life there, that word there in the Greek for to the full, it, it means the, the, the super abundant life. The more abundant life. Jesus is painting a word picture there as he describes the kind of life that he makes available to you. It's almost like he's saying, picture your life as a little cup and Jesus as a water hose. That he's going to fill you up so super abundantly that you will overflow on mission to the people around you. Specifically, we've spent some time over the last few weeks exploring the context of this promise that Jesus gives us in John chapter 10, verse 10. And the context is, Jesus is using this metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep. In verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, 
and my sheep know me. He's the shepherd, we are the sheep. And so week one, we talked about how we need to be with Jesus. You have to know the voice of your shepherd. Jesus says, the mark of my sheep is that they know my voice. And so we don't want you to just adopt a set of beliefs or a set of behaviors. We want you to know the voice of the shepherd. And so on week one, we passed out these journals to you. If you haven't gotten one yet, there are tables out there in the lobby or there's a bunch of them out there in the hub. I'd encourage every single one of you to grab one of these. This is a tool for your life with Jesus. It has a template in there for you to use in your daily time with the Lord. If you don't have a habit of daily time with the Lord yet, this is a great way for you to build that habit into your life. It works with whatever Bible reading plan you want to do, whatever your pattern or habit is. If you want a Bible reading plan, though, because you don't know where to start, we have those available for you, too, also in print editions, or you can scan the QR code right there. This is not some kind of big study that we're going to do as a whole church or anything like that. This is just a tool that we want you to use to help learn the voice of Jesus, to live life with him. That's the first thing, life with Jesus. The second thing we said that life to the full means is life in community, because Jesus said we are sheep and sheep follow shepherd in a flock, but today we're talking about the third and final thing, that being fully alive in Jesus means life on mission, life on mission. And my guess is, if you've been in church very long, you probably have a little bit of an idea of what that mission is. Because think back to this metaphor. Jesus says that you and I are sheep. You probably know enough about sheep to know that sheep are really only good at one thing, aren't they? Getting lost. That's about it. And so this is not a flattering analogy. Jesus says that, he says that you and I, we wander off. We get lost, we end up alone, we end up in danger, that you and I on our own always end up, end up unable to find our way home. And so what then does our good shepherd do when we wander off? Well, you we can think of what he probably should do when the sheep wanders off. He should probably beat them so they never do that again, right? Or maybe he should leave them to the coyotes to experience the consequences of their own actions. And yet that's not what the good shepherd does. You remember the story Jesus tells in Luke 15? He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them, just one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I don't know all the details of your life, but I do know that this is your story this is my story. This is our story. We wandered off. We got lost. We were unable to find our way home, but God came. He sent his son Jesus to die and to rise again to show us the way back home, to bring us home to God. This is God's mission. This is our good shepherd. First Timothy chapter two goes on to describe this mission of the good shepherd. He says that God wants all people did you catch that? God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Some of you have somebody in your life that you really, really, really want to meet Jesus and you don't know if it's ever gonna happen and I promise you God wants the same thing. He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of, of the truth. This is the mission of the good shepherd. Jesus goes on in John chapter 10, verse 16 to describe what this mission is like. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must Bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
So the mission of the good shepherd is to go get those sheep. And if you fast forward even to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that actually God has been planning this mission to go get those lost sheep and bring them into his flock. God's been planning that mission since before he even created the world. And that's why he made the church. So then we could almost say it better. We could say that it's not that God's church has a mission It's that God's mission has a church. And so this mission to help the whole world hear the voice of the good shepherd and this mission to bring in these other sheep that Jesus already wants to be in his flock, this mission to rescue the hurting and bring home the wandering and welcome the lowly, this is not our mission. This is not your mission. This is God's mission. This is the desire of God's heart. This is why he sent his son. This is the mission that you were made for. And that's good news for you and me this morning, and here's why. That means God is more interested in saving people than you are. Because I know my own heart and how weak it is. It also means that God is more able to save people than you are. Because I can't even change my own heart, much less anybody else's heart. But that's an incredible resource we have, that the one who's most interested in saving is also most able to save, and it's his mission, and we are his plan. You are his plan, and that mission, that purpose of God, that sense of dangerous calling, if you embrace it, will be the thing that can get you out of bed in the morning. That is the antidote to the boredom and the zucosis of our age. Now, this is big. We're talking a cosmic-sized mission, so maybe that leaves you thinking right now, well, cool, but what does that actually have to do with my everyday life? Like, what part do I play? That seems intimidating for me. How in the world do I live my normal everyday life on mission? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Let me ask you three questions this morning as we explore how to live on mission together. Here's question number one. Where does God have you? Where does God have you? Just think through your phase of life right now. Where does God have you? Maybe he has you being a mom or being a grandpa or being a teacher or a nurse. Maybe he has you selling insurance or working construction or serving in law enforcement. Wherever he has you, that's where the mission is. There's a story in the Bible that illustrates this. It's in Acts chapter 10. You might be familiar with it. The scene is that in Acts chapter 10, Jesus has already risen from the dead. The church was born. And Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples, has started traveling around on this mission for Jesus. He's telling people about how Jesus has risen from the dead. He's like checking in on all these baby churches. And then he hears that there's this sick lady named Dorcas who lived in a town called Joppa. We've got a picture of Joppa here. I got to actually took this picture. I got to be in Joppa last year. It's a beautiful seaside town. It's a big city now, but it wasn't back then. And, and Dorcas, this lady in Joppa, she gets sick and she dies. And so Peter goes to Joppa and he prays and Dorcas comes back to life. It's this incredible miracle. People hear about this miracle. People start giving their lives to Jesus. The church is growing. And so Peter stays in Joppa for a while. And Acts chapter 9 tells us that while he's there, Peter is staying in the home of a guy named Simon the Tanner. 
Now, a tanner is somebody who skins animals. What you got to know is that in Jewish law, that makes Simon the tanner ritually unclean. So for a good little Jewish boy like Peter, a tanner is not the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. And so, listen, I'm not Peter, but I'm just imaginatively putting myself in his shoes If I'm Peter, he's in an insignificant little seaside town staying in the home of an unclean man. I don't know what he felt, but if I'm him, maybe I'm wondering, God, why in the world am I here? God, Jesus rose from the dead. I sure thought that meant that you were going to bring your kingdom in some flashy, more influential ways than me just hunkering down in a little coastal village with the local taxidermist. Maybe you've wondered that too as you look at your own life, as you look at where God has you. Like, God, this dead-end job, really? Really, Lord, these endless diapers and dishes? Lord, my life seems to just be an endless series of doctor's appointments and bills. Why am I here? Where does God have you? Because... Peter, after all, he wasn't in the wrong place. Turns out as the story goes on, he was actually right in the middle of God's will. You see, there had been another man of God in the city of Joppa before. You probably remember the story back in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story of the prophet Jonah? And God told Jonah about his mission. Because remember, this has been God's mission since before he created the world. And so God said, hey, Jonah, I'm on a mission. i got to bring these people into my flock. I've got other sheep out there that I want to know my voice. Even those low-down scoundrels, Jonah. Even your enemies in Nineveh, Jonah. I want them in my flock, and I want you to go tell them. But Jonah heard about the mission of God, and he wanted nothing to do with that. And so Jonah went down to Joppa. And he hopped on a ship and he headed in the opposite direction of God's mission. But fast forward a few hundred years after Jesus raises from the dead. And here's another man of God, Peter, who's in Joppa. And he hears about the mission of God and he too has a choice. Because God comes to Peter and he says, Peter, I'm going to use you to rewrite that story. Long story short, God shows up in Joppa. He gives Peter a vision and says, hey, Peter, my mission is not just for the Jews. It's for everybody. Peter, I want all people to be adopted into my family. And of all people, Peter, I want you to go to your enemies. I want you to go to one of your oppressors. I've got a Roman centurion that I want to be in my flock. What are you going to do? And in Joppa... Where Jonah went the wrong way from God's mission, Peter went the right way, and the modern missions movement was born right here in this city. So where does God have you? Living on mission starts right now, where you are right now, not where you think you should be. It's so easy, isn't it, to get sucked into that kind of an excuse to just think, you know, when I'm I'm in that next season... When work slows down a little bit or when I have more money or when my kids get a little older or when my health finally cooperates or when I know more stuff, then then I'll start living on mission. But I'm telling you, God wants to use you right now where he has you. He wants to give you unique opportunities in this season of your life for you to shine a light for Jesus if you'll just have your eyes open and your ears open to his voice. And that kind of a mindset of living for the mission of God where you are right now, that kills zucosis in a hurry. So question number one, where does God have you? But there's more. 
If you want to trade in the humdrum life of aimless monotony, and if you want to live fully alive on mission, here's question number two. Where does God have you? But question number two is how has God gifted you? We operate here under the biblical conviction that every member of the body of Christ has a part to play in the mission of God because he has given you spiritual gifts. Last week we read in Romans chapter 12 where Paul says this. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and all these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That means there's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. When you became a follower of Jesus, you have spiritual gifts now for you to use. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the purpose of that gift he's given you. Paul says, now to each one, notice, each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? For the common good. God has given you these spiritual gifts for you to use for the benefit of the whole body. Um, there's a quote I love talking about your mission where Frederick Beekner says this. He says, the place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. I love that. Because oftentimes when we talk about your mission and God's mission and your gifts, my guess is a lot of you are thinking, man, I don't know what my gift is. What if we thought about it in these terms? What is your deep gladness? What brings you that deep sense of joy as you do it? Because my guess is your gift lies somewhere in there. What is your deep gladness and how might that intersect with the needs of the people around you? What are you good at? What do you love to do? What good experience or story has God given you that you can leverage for the good of the kingdom? I don't know what your gift is. Maybe you're a great listener. Maybe you're a great hostess. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you work with your hands. Maybe you love to teach kids. God gave you that gift, remember 1 Corinthians 12 says, for the common good, so that you can use it on mission for him. If you don't know what your gift is today, that's okay. We'd love to help you get there. If you scan that little QR code on the seat in front of you, that'll take you to the serve page on our website, or you can go to the hub or to the welcome center. We'd love to talk to you out there. And you can find a link there on the website to get in touch with us. We'd love to help talk to you about opportunities to serve here and help you figure out what your gifts are. My dad always said to me, he said, hey, if you're, if you're hungry to know the will of God, just go till you get a no. It's hard to steer a parked car, he would say. My guess is, if you just start serving places, you'll figure out pretty quickly what you are gifted at and what you're not gifted at. Also, on the serve page on our website, we have a spiritual gifts assessment. It's totally free that you can take to help discern what your spiritual gifts might be. It's called the shape test. And then after you take that, we'll get in touch with you. We'd love to help work with you to figure out how to use those gifts because those gifts, they're not trophies to brag with. They're not toys to play with. They're tools to build with for the common good, Paul said said. Um, uh, over the last year or so, um, before we rolled out this mission to the whole church, as a staff and an eldership, we developed a, a set of values and a purpose statement just internally for us as a staff and an eldership that guide how we do ministry. And, and the purpose statement that we have as a staff and eldership is this, that our calling is to serve and equip God's people. 
That's our purpose statement. That's why we are here working and serving at Plainfield Christian Church to serve and equip God's people. We've said that we're gonna be a church with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other because we serve with the basin and we equip with the Bible. And man, the staff and elders, I'm sure they're sick of hearing us say it. Serve and equip, serve and equip, serve and equip, serve and equip. We're gonna say ad nauseum because here's what that means. That means that yes, we are here to serve you, but we're also here to equip you to live on mission. Um, there's a metaphor that's been used to describe how that influences the way we do church. Um, some people, for instance, view the church as a cruise ship. Maybe you've heard this metaphor before that a, a cruise ship is, is here to entertain you, right? Here to, here to pamper you, but that means that if we fail to cater to your desires, you can just book a different cruise that you like better, right? Because cruise ship A has better music, but your friends are going on cruise ship B, and cruise ship C has better activities for your kids, so just pick whichever cruise ship you want. But we're not a cruise ship. And so some people say then, well, well the church is more like a battleship, because a battleship wasn't made for entertainment. A battleship was made for a mission. And yet still, if you think about it on a battleship, the job for the average person with a battleship is just to pay the taxes to build it, right? And it's the job of maybe eight, nine, ten people to fire the big guns to engage in the fight. But we're not a cruise ship and we're not a battleship. What if you thought about the church instead as an aircraft carrier? Because an aircraft carrier, yes, is made for a mission, but that also means that anybody who works on this boat, our job is to fuel you up and equip you with the ammunition that you need so that we can then launch you back out into the world to take the kingdom of God into the places where he already has you fully alive on mission with him and the gates of hell will not stand against that. We have a decent amount of seating capacity in this room, but far more than our seating capacity, we care about our sending capacity our calling is to serve and equip God's people because you have gifts that he's given that he wants you to leverage for ministry to live on mission with him. So two questions. First one is, where does God have you? Second one is, how has God gifted you? But if you're ready to be done with a life of spiritual boredom and to kill zucosis, where does God have you? How's God gifted you? Question number three is, who has God sent you? Who has God sent you? Because I could almost guarantee that God has sent somebody into your life that he wants you to love, that he wants you to serve, that he wants you to forgive, that he wants you to encourage, that he wants you to share your story with, that he wants you to share the good news of Jesus Christ's resurrection with. Who's God sent you? Because here's the truth about that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter nine, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. We don't have a harvest problem. He says we have a worker problem. The harvest is out there. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. 
And so in your, in your fully alive journals in the in community section and the on mission section, as you take a look at those, I'd encourage you, work through these activities to help discern what does it mean for me to be with Jesus in community on mission. And there's some tools in there to help you analyze who is the one person that God has put in my circle that he wants me to love and encourage and share the good news of Jesus with. And then listen, guys, we ordered thousands of these journals. We have lots of them. They are totally free. Man, if you've got somebody in your life that you're thinking is, man, they're, they're close. God might want me to reach one. Take an extra one of these. Give it to them. Start working through it with them. Say, hey, would you want to just like start reading the Bible with me and use this as a tool to start having spiritual discussions to live on mission for Jesus right then. We want you to learn the sound of Jesus's voice so that you can discern where he has you, how he's gifted you, and who he has sent you. And when you start to live as a sheep, knowing the voice of the shepherd, on mission with him, it's scary, but it's not boring. There's a great author by the name of Beth Moore who tells a story about how the voice of God can lead you on mission. She tells this great story about how one day Beth Moore was sitting at the airport in Knoxville, Tennessee, waiting on her flight, just big room, chock full of people, you know, when all of a sudden, every eye in the room looks at her. And you know how you can just kind of feel it when people are staring at you, you know? And she kind of looks up and, and she's, she's, everybody's looking at her, but then she realizes they're not actually looking at her, they're looking at something right behind her. But you know the social rules in that kind of a scenario, right? You can't just like turn around and gawk. And so she notices the eyes of every person in the room are moving with whatever it is that is right behind her. And so she watches their eyes to notice that, well, once it gets far enough over here, she can kind of sneak a glance out of her peripheral vision to see what it is that everybody's staring at. And it's a hostess who's pushing an old man in a wheelchair, and she parks this old man just a few feet from Beth Moore. And Beth Moore glances over real quick. She said she tried to keep from staring, but he was just such an odd sight. He's the oldest looking man she'd ever seen. He's got these bony shoulders kind of poking up through his shirt. His pants are so baggy that it clearly looks like he'd lost some weight. Long finger hail, fingernails, long, stringy, matted, greasy hair that kind of goes down all the way to the middle of his back. She said he looked every bit of 129 years old. And all of a sudden, as she glances over at this man, the Spirit of God just overwhelms Beth Moore. And, and sometimes, like, if you've experienced being fully alive in Jesus, if you've walked with Jesus in community on mission long enough, you've probably felt that feeling before when the Holy Spirit is kind of urging you, convicting you, prompting you. Beth Moore was familiar with that feeling. She's sitting there in the airport. She said she literally had her Bible open on her lap in front of you. When she feels the Spirit's conviction, she stops looking at the man, and she stares down at the Bible because she knows that feeling. And she's saying, no, Lord, no, Lord. Go, God, please, no. She knows this feeling. And then that doesn't work, so she stares up at the ceiling looking straight up to heaven, and she says, no, Lord, please, no, because she knows this feeling of conviction. And Beth Moore's thinking, God wants me to witness to this old man right here. And so she stares up at the ceiling, and she starts to get into this little mental conversation with God. Lord, like, please, do not make me witness to this man. Like, not here, God. Not right in front of this whole gawking audience. I'll, I'll like do it on the plane if you want me to do it on the plane, but not right here and now. And then, listen, most of us don't hear from God this clearly very often, but every now and then, 
And the Holy Spirit just whispered into Beth Moore's mind in that moment and said, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. Oh. <laughs> well, now, now Beth Moore, her mind's really spinning, right? Like, would you rather witness to the guy or would you rather brush his hair? Well, there's no real contest there. That's a no-brainer. So she starts having this little mental debate with God. Like, she looks back down at the Bible. God, you know, as I live and breathe, Lord, I want you to know that I am ready to witness to this man, Lord. I'm your girl. You've never seen a woman witness to a man so fast. I'm on him after all. What good is it if his hair is brushed if the man is not redeemed? I'm on this, Lord. You can count on me. And God just imprinted that statement on the wall of Beth Moore's mind one more time. He said, that's not what I said, Beth. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. Well, but Lord, I, you know, I already brushed my hair today. My hairbrush is in the bag. It's already on the plane, Lord. The servant of God is clearly not thoroughly equipped for this good work that you prepared in advance for me to do. I just can't do it, Lord. But sure enough, maybe you felt this feeling before. All of a sudden, Beth Moore, she just kind of finds herself walking toward this man ever so slowly, and she, she kneels down, and she said, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he said, what'd you say? <laughs> <clears throat> Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? Well, young lady, if you want me to understand what you're saying, you're going to have to talk a lot louder than that. <laughs> so she tries a third time, no joke. She says, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? <laughs> And at this point, every eye in the room is on her. You know, you can just feel it. They're staring a hole in the back of your head. And the man says, well, if you really want to. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Of course she doesn't want to. <laughs> but just, Jesus doesn't seem too interested in Beth Moore's personal preferences right then. And so she says, well, sir, I have just one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. <laughs> he said, that's okay. I've got one in my bag. And so she goes around to the back of the wheelchair and she opens this man's bag and starts rifling through his personal contents until she finds this, this hairbrush. And she stood back up and she started brushing the old man's hair. He's all tangled and matted. Now these are Beth Moore's words. She said, you know, I'm not too good at much, but I'm pretty good at brushing hair. I had two daughters. God had prepared me for this moment. And so she started at the bottom, ever so gently holding the strands so as not to pull his hair. And the most amazing thing happened, she said, that all of a sudden, it was like everybody else in the room disappeared. You know the words to the old song, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. She said, and God just flooded her heart with the most supernatural, overwhelming sense of his love for this man, that it was just her and him. And she took her time brushing and brushing, making sure that every little tangle was out until his hair was soft and smooth as silk. And when she got done, you know, she's crying and he's crying and everybody's crying. And she, she stands back up and she looks him in the eyes and she says, sir... Do you know Jesus? 
And he said, oh, yes, I do. Because, like, of course he does, right? Figures. <laughs> the old man says, yes, I've, I've known Jesus ever since I've married my bride. She wouldn't let me marry her until I knew the Savior. He said, the problem is I've been in the hospital for so long, so many months. You see, I've had surgery, and, and she's been sick the whole time, so we haven't seen each other for so long. He said, but I get to go home today. And I was just sitting here thinking, what a mess I must be, how I must look for my bride. Nobody'd cut his hair the whole time he's in the hospital. After a few minutes, he boarded the plane. But one of the stewardesses came up to Beth Moore with tears in her eyes, and she said, ma'am, what made you do that? She said, well, Jesus, he's pretty bossy. <laughs> and she got to share the gospel. Listen, we don't have a harvest problem. We've got a worker problem. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. I've got more sheep out there, and I want to bring them in. And if the mark of his sheep is that they know the sound of his voice, do you know the voice of Jesus? Because if you do, he is calling you to join him on his mission. Who's he sending you? Who's he put around you? As he's whispering to you, will you listen? And that kind of life on mission is anything but boring. For the last three weeks, you know, we've heard Soraya's story of how she has discovered being fully alive in Jesus here. And over the last two weeks, we've seen how she discovered life with Jesus and in community at Plainfield Christian Church. And today we're going to wrap up Soraya's story hearing how she found life on mission. Check this out. I can remember before I got baptized thinking, what do I have to lose? I had lost my soul. I had lost my dignity. I had lost my identity. What more could I have lost? It was scary, but at the time I did not know. I knew what I was doing and I didn't. I mean, you don't really know what it's like to be a Christ follower until you're actually doing it. I think for me it's knowing and believing I don't have to do things alone. Not that things aren't hard. I mean, I still have really bad days. I still struggle with nightmares and flashbacks, but I don't have to do it alone. He is a light. He's a, there is light. There is hope. And I think for me, that fully alive means I want to tell other people. I get the privilege of working for a ministry called Grit Into Grace, and they work with and, and minister to women who are survivors of trafficking, um, sexual exploitation, sex work industry. Um, and I get to walk alongside of them. I get to be part of a Bible study with them. I get to pray with them. And I think the part that I love about it is the days that I don't love well, and I royally mess up and I say the stupidest most insensitive things to them I can remind them that you know when I don't love well Jesus does every day more than I can and I tell the women all the time I love you but I don't love you like Jesus loves you and that is the one thing that I try to tell them every single day that there is light there is hope and that Jesus loves them and I get to do that. I mean, how many people get to do that? I mean, it is such an amazing privilege to be able to do this. And I try to encounter it in every area. I don't like to go through the self-serve very often at the stores because it doesn't give me an opportunity to talk to the cashier and say, how are you today? How, how, are, you, how are you feeling? How are you doing? I mean, I think there's ways that 
we can minister and do missionary work basically right here, right in our hometown, right at the grocery store, at a restaurant. How can I pray for you? To the waitress. I can remember when I started at Grit and Grace, I got in the car and I was like, I'm not, I'm not taking this job. You, you don't offer benefits. I'm taking a huge pay cut. And I felt this nudging of, I'm opening the doors for you. I'm opening, I will provide. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, I'm having a moment. I look at the backseat to make sure nobody is in the backseat. I'm like, oh no, what's happening to me? And I will never forget that day because I started the car and I was like, yes, it doesn't matter if they pay me $5 an hour. If they offer me the job, I'm gonna say yes. And when I say that God has provided, he has provided. Say yes when everything in you tells you to say no. And I know that sounds easy. Oh, just say yes. It's not. It's really hard. Being a Christian probably is harder for me than living my childhood. As a in my childhood, I didn't know what was right. I didn't know what was wrong. As an adult and a believer, I have to make choices. That's hard to make the right choices. That's hard to walk in faith. I am never going to be a Bible scholar. I, I'm just not. And if you said, let's quote some scriptures, I could not. But what I do know is I know God's love and I know what he did for me. And I know that he removed my shame. I know that he loved me. And I think I don't know one person that hasn't dealt with shame or has not felt at one point in their life unloved. And that's what God did. I mean, he's made me alive. Man, Sarai said it. When God whispers to you, when, when he calls you to be fully alive on mission with him, it'll be hard, but say yes. I loved her challenge there. She said, he made me alive, fully alive. And now he is sending you and I to help others experience that life. God, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So where does God have you? How has God gifted you? And who has God sent you? And if you're bored and if you're wondering if your life has meaning and if you're feeling like you've got day-to-day -day zoocosis, I would dare you. Come try life with Jesus in community and on mission and see where God would lead. Can you just imagine with me if every single person in this church was living on mission, if we became a church that was fully alive on God's mission with Jesus and in community, what would happen? I mean, can you imagine the addictions that would be broken and the marriages that could be healed. Could you imagine children raised in the love of God and the poor served and the rich leveraging their privilege for the good of the kingdom and the old and the young serving side by side for the sake of the gospel? Can you imagine what if God used you to reach that one friend in your life who seems too far gone? What if God used us to empty the foster care system and to reform state and local levels of government? What if God used us to bring healing to racial division and cast a compelling vision of unity in our country that is deeper and higher than just political fear-mongering? What if hope broke out in your neighborhood through your house? What if the waters of that baptistry were always busy? What if boredom was dead because every gift in this body was leveraged? What if a movement of devoted prayer broke out? What if we got to experience revival? right here in Hendricks County. Can you imagine what God might wanna do through this? And so in anticipation of you and I becoming fully alive with Jesus in community and on mission, would you pray these words with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.